section twenty five of incidents of travel in central america chiapas and yucatan volume two by john lloyd steffens this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by sue anderson in the meantime the padre had a fowl boiled for dinner three guests at a time were not too much for his open hospitality but they went beyond his dinner service which consisted of three bowls there was no plate knife fork or spoon and for the cura himself not even a bowl the fowl was served in an ocean of broth which had to be disposed of first tortillas and a small cake of fresh cheese composed the rest of the meal the reader will perhaps connect such an entertainment with vulgarity of manners but the curate was a gentleman and made no apologies for he gave us the best he had we had sent our carriers on before the padre gave us a servant as a guide and at three o'clock we bade him farewell he was the last padre whom we met and put a seal upon the kindness we had received from all the padres of that country at five o'clock by a muddy road through a picturesque country remarkable only for swarms of butterflies with large yellow wings which filled the air we reached las playas this village is the head of navigation of the waters that empty in this direction into the gulf of mexico the whole of the great plain to the sea is intersected by creeks and rivers some of them in the summer dry and on the rising of the waters overflowing their banks at this season the plain on one side of the village was inundated and seemed a large lake the village was a small collection of huts upon what might be called its banks it consisted of one street or road grass grown and still as at palenque at the extreme end of which was the church under the pastoral care of our friend the padre our guide according to the directions of the padre conducted us to the convent and engaged the sexton to provide us with supper the convent was built of upright sticks with a thatched roof mud floor and furnished with three reed bedsteads and a table at this place we were to embark in a canoe and had sent a courier a day beforehand with a letter from the prefect to the justicia to have one ready for us the justicia was a portly mulatto well dressed and very civil had a canoe of his own and promised to procure us two bogadores or rowers in the morning very soon the mosquitoes made alarming demonstrations and gave us apprehensions of a fearful night to make a show of resistance we built a large fire in the middle of the convent at night the storm came on with a high wind which made it necessary to close the doors for two hours we had a tempest of wind and rain with terrific thunder and lightning one blast burst open the door and scattered the fire so that it came very near burning down the convent between the smoke and mosquitoes it was a matter of debate which of the two to choose suffocation or torture we preferred the former and had the latter besides and passed a miserable night 
the next morning the justicia came to say that the bogadores were not ready and could not go that day the price which he named was about twice as much as the cura had told us we ought to pay besides pozol balls of mashed indian corn tortillas honey and meat i remonstrated and he went off to consult the mozos but returned to say that they would not take less and after treating him with but little of the respect due to office i was obliged to accede but i ought to add that throughout that country in general prices are fixed and there is less advantage taken of the necessity of travellers than in most others we were loath to remain for besides the loss of time and the mosquitoes the scarcity of provisions was greater than at palenque the sexton bought us some corn and his wife made us tortillas the principal merchant in the place or at least the one who traded most largely with us was a little boy about twelve years old who was dressed in a petate or straw hat he had brought us some fruit and we saw him coming again with a string over his naked shoulder dragging on the ground what proved to be a large fish the principal food of the place was young alligators they were about a foot and a half long and at that youthful time of life were considered very tender at their first appearance on the table they had not an inviting aspect but ce n'est que le premier pas qui coûte they tasted better than fish and they were the best food possible for our canoe voyage being dried and capable of preservation go where we will to the uttermost parts of the earth we are sure to meet one acquaintance death is always with us in the afternoon was the funeral of a child the procession consisted of eight or ten grown persons and as many boys and girls the sexton carried the child in his arms dressed in white with a wreath of flowers around its head all were huddled around the sexton walking together the father and mother with him and even more than in costa rica i remarked not only an absence of solemnity but cheerfulness and actual gaiety from the same happy conviction that the child had gone to a better world i happened to be in the church as they approached more like a wedding than a burial party the floor of the church was earthen and the grave was dug inside because as the sexton told me the father was rich and could afford to pay for it and the father seemed pleased and proud that he could give his child such a burial place the sexton laid the child in the grave folded its little hands across its breast placing there a small rude cross covered it with eight or ten inches of earth and then got into the grave and stamped it down with his feet he then got out and threw in more and going outside of the church brought back a pounder being a log of wood about four feet long and ten inches in diameter like the rammer used among us by pavers and again taking his place in the grave threw up the pounder to the full swing of his arm and brought it down with all his strength over the head of the child 
my blood ran cold as he threw it up a second time i caught his arm and remonstrated with him but he said that they always did so with those buried inside the church that the earth must be all put back and the floor of the church made even my remonstrances seemed only to give him more strength and spirit the sweat rolled down his body and when perfectly tired with pounding he stepped out of the grave but this was nothing more earth was thrown in and the father laid down his hat stepped into the grave and the pounder was handed to him i saw him throw it up twice and bring it down with a dead heavy noise i never beheld a more brutal and disgusting scene the child's body must have been crushed to atoms toward evening the mosquitoes began their operations pauling and juan planted sticks in the ground outside the convent and spread sheets over them for nets but the rain came on and drove them within and we passed another wretched night it may be asked how the inhabitants live i cannot answer they seemed to suffer as much as we but at home they could have conveniences which we could not carry in travelling pauling suffered so much and heard such dreadful accounts of what we would meet with below that in a spirit of impetuosity and irritation he resolved not to continue any further from the difficulty and uncertainty of communications however i strongly apprehended that in such case all the schemes in which he was concerned must fall through and be abandoned as i was not willing to incur the expense of sending materials subject to delays and uncertainties unless in special charge and once more he changed his purpose i had but one leave-taking and that was a trying one i was to bid farewell to my noble macho he had carried me more than two thousand miles over the worst roads that mule ever travelled he stood tied to the door of the convent saw the luggage and even his own saddle carried away by hand and seemed to have a presentiment that something unusual was going on i had often been solicited to sell him but no money could have tempted me he was in poorer condition than when we reached palenque deprived of corn and exposed to the dreadful rains he was worse than when worked hard and fed well every day and in his drooping state seemed to reproach me for going away and leaving him forlorn i threw my arms around his neck his eyes had a mournful expression and at that moment he forgot the angry prick of the spur i laid aside the memory of a toss from his back and ineffectual attempts to repeat it and we remembered only mutual kind offices and good fellowship tried and faithful companion where are you now i left him with two others tied at the door of the convent to be taken by the sexton to the prefect at palenque there to recover from the debilitating influence of the early rains and to roam on rich pasture grounds untouched by bridle or spur until i should return to mount him again chapter twenty two embarkation an inundated plain 
Rio Chico, the Usamacinta, Rio Palisada, Yucatan, more revolutions, Vespers, embarkation for the Laguna, shooting alligators, tremendous storm, Boca Chico, Lake of Terminos, a calm succeeded by a tempest, arrival at the Laguna. At seven o'clock we went down to the shore to embark. The boatmen whom the justice had consulted, and for whom he had been so tenacious, were his honor himself and another man, who we thought was hired as the cheapest help he could find in the village. The canoe was about forty feet long, with a toldo or awning of about twelve feet at the stern, and covered with matting. All the space before this was required by the boatmen to work the canoe, and with all our luggage under the awning, we had but narrow quarters. The seeming lake on which we started was merely a large inundated plain, covered with water to the depth of three or four feet, and the justice in the stern and his assistant before, walking in the bottom of the canoe, with poles against their shoulders, set her across. At eight o'clock we entered a narrow muddy creek, not wider than a canal, but very deep and with the current against us. The setting pole could not touch bottom, but it was forked at one end, and keeping close to the bank, the bogador, or rower, fixed it against the branches of overhanging trees and pushed, while the justice, whose pole had a rude hook, fastened it to other branches forward and pulled. In this way, with no view but that of the wooded banks, we worked slowly along the muddy stream. In turning a short bend, suddenly, we saw on the banks eight or ten alligators, some of them twenty feet long, huge, hideous monsters, appropriate inhabitants of such a stream, and considering the frailty of our little vessel, not very attractive neighbors. As we approached, they plunged heavily into the water, sometimes rose in the middle of the stream, and swam across or disappeared. At half-past twelve we entered the Rio Chico, or Little River, varying from two to five hundred feet in width, deep, muddy, and very sluggish, with wooded banks of impenetrable thickness. At six o'clock we entered the great Usumacinta, five or six hundred yards across, one of the noblest rivers in Central America, rising among the mountains of Peten and emptying into the lake of Terminos. At this point the three provinces of Chiapas, Tabasco, and Yucatan meet, and the junction of the waters of the Usumacinta and the Rio Chico present a singular spectacle. Since leaving the sheet of water before the playas, we had been ascending the stream, but now, continuing in the same direction and crossing the line of junction, we came from the ascending current of the Rio Chico into the descending flow of the Asumacinta. Working out into the middle and looking back, we saw the Asumacinta and the Rio Chico coming together and forming an angle of not more than forty degrees, one running up and the other down. Amid the wildness and stillness of the majestic river, 
and floating in a little canoe the effect was very extraordinary but the cause was obvious the usumacinta descending swiftly and with immense force broke against a projecting headland on the left of its course and while the main body forced its way past and hurried on to the ocean part was turned back at this sharp angle with such power as to form the creeks which we had ascended and flood the plain of the playas at this time away from the wooded banks with the setting poles at rest and floating quietly on the bosom of the noble usumacinta our situation was pleasant and exciting a strong wind sweeping down the river drove away the mosquitoes and there was no gathering clouds to indicate rain we had expected to come to for the night but the evening was so clear that we determined to continue unfortunately we were obliged to leave the sumacinta and about an hour after dark turned to the north into the rio palisada the whole great plain from palenque to the gulf of mexico is broken by creeks and streams the sumacinta in its stately course receives many and sends off others to find their way by other channels to the sea leaving the broad expanse of the sumacinta with its comparative light the rio palisada narrow and with a dark line of forest on each side had an aspect fearfully ominous of mosquitoes unfortunately at the very beginning we brushed against the bank and took on board enough to show us the bloodthirsty character of the natives of course that night afforded us little sleep at daylight we were still dropping down the river this was the region of the great logwood country we met a large bungo with two masts moving against the stream set up by hauling and pushing on the branches of trees on her way for a cargo as we advanced the banks of the river in some places were cleared and cultivated and had whitewashed houses and small sugar mills turned by oxen and canoes were lying on the water altogether the scene was pretty but with the richness of the soil suggesting the idea how beautiful this country might be made at two o'clock we reached the palisada situated on the left bank of the river on a luxuriant plain elevated some fifteen or twenty feet several bungos lay along the bank and in front was a long street with large and well-built houses this our first point was in the state of yucatan then in revolution against the government of mexico our descent of the river had been watched from the bank and before we landed we were hailed asked for our passports and directed to present ourselves immediately to the alcalde the intimation was peremptory and we proceeded forthwith to the alcalde don francisco ebreu was superior to any man i had yet found at the head of a municipality in fact he was the chief of the liberal party in that section of the state and like all the other officials in the mexican provinces received us with the respect due to an official passport of a friendly nation we were again in the midst of a revolution but had not the remotest idea what it was about 
we were most intimately acquainted with central american politics but this was of no more use to us than a knowledge of texan politics would be to a stranger in the united states for several months the names of morazan and carrera had rung in our ears like those of our own candidates for the presidency at a contested election but we had passed the limits of their world and were obliged to begin anew for eight years the central party had maintained the ascendancy in mexico during which time as a mark of the sympathy between neighboring people the liberal or democratic party had been ascendant in central america within the last six months the centralists had overturned the liberals in central america and during the same time the liberalists had almost driven out the centralists in mexico along the whole coast of the pacific the liberals were in arms waging a strong revolutionary war and threatening the capital which they afterward entered but after great massacre and bloodshed were expelled on the atlantic side the states of tabasco and yucatan had declared their independence of the general government and in the interior of both states the officials of the central government had been driven out the seaports of tabasco and campeche garrisoned by central troops still held out but they were at that time blockaded and besieged on land by the federal forces all communications by sea and land were cut off their supplies were short and don francisco thought they would soon be obliged by starvation to surrender the revolution seemed of a higher tone for greater cause and conducted with more moderation than in central america the grounds of revolt here were the despotism of the central government which far removed by position and ignorant of the condition and resources of the country used its distant provinces as a quartering place for rapacious officers and a source of revenue for money to be squandered in the capital one little circumstance showed the impolicy and inefficiency of the laws on account of high duties smuggling was carried to such an extent on the coast that many articles were regularly sold at the palisada for much less than the duties the revolution like all others in that country began with pronunciamientos that is declarations of the municipality or what we would call the corporation of a town in favor of any particular party the palisada had made its pronunciamiento but two weeks before the central officers had been turned out and the present alcalde was hardly warm in his place the change however had been effected with a spirit of moderation and forbearance and without bloodshed don francisco with a liberality unusual spoke of his immediate predecessor as an upright but misguided man who was not persecuted but then living in the place unmolested the liberals however did not expect the same treatment at the hands of the centralists an invasion had been apprehended from tabasco don francisco had his silver and valuables packed up 
and kept his bungo before the door to save his effects and family, and the place was alive with patriots brushing up arms and preparing for war. Don Francisco was a rich man, had a hacienda of thirty thousand head of cattle, logwood plantations and bungos, and was rated at two hundred thousand dollars. The house in which he lived was on the bank of the river, newly built, one hundred and fifty feet front, and had cost him twenty thousand dollars. While we were with him, dinner was about being served, in a liberal style of housekeeping unusual in that country, and with the freedom of a man who felt sure that he could not be taken unaware, he asked us to join him at table. In all his domestic relations, he was like the respectable head of a family at home. He had two sons, whom he intended to send to the United States to be educated, and minor things, too, called up home feelings. For the first time in a long while, we had bread, made of flour from New York, and the barrel-head had a Rochester brand. Don Francisco had never traveled further than Tabasco and Campeche, but he was well acquainted with Europe and the United States, geographically and politically. Indeed, he was one of the most agreeable companions and best-informed men we met in that country. We remained with him all the afternoon, and toward evening moved our chairs outside in front of the house, which at evening was the regular gathering place of the family. The bank of the river was a promenade for the people of the town, who stopped to exchange greetings with Don Francisco and his wife. A vacant chair was always at hand, and from time to time one took a seat with us. When the vesper bell struck, conversation ceased. All rose from their seats, made a short prayer, and when it was over, turned to each other with a buenos noches, reseated themselves, and renewed the conversation. There was always something imposing in the sound of the vesper bell, presenting the idea of an immense multitude of people at the same moment offering up a prayer. During the evening a courier arrived with dispatches for Don Francisco, advising him that a town which had pronounced in favor of the liberals had pronounced back again, which seemed to give both him and his wife much uneasiness. At ten o'clock an armed patrol came for orders, and we retired to what we much needed, a good night's rest. In the morning Don Francisco, half in jest and half in earnest, told us of the uneasiness we had given his wife. Pauling Spanish, and the constant use of idioms well known as belonging to the city of Mexico, had excited her suspicions she said he was not an american but a mexican from the capital and she believed him to be a spy of the centralists pauling did not like the imputation he was a little mortified at this visible mark of long absence from his country and not at all flattered at being taken for a mexican don francisco laughed at it but his wife was so pertinacious that if it had not been for the apparent propriety of my being attended by one perfectly familiar with the language of the country, I believe, in the state of apprehension and distrust, Pauline 
would have lost the benefit of his birthright and been arrested as a spy we passed the next day in a quiet lounge and in making arrangements for continuing our journey and the next day after furnished with a luxurious supply of provisions by the senora and accompanied to the place by don francisco we embarked on board a bungo for the laguna the bungo was about fifteen tons flat-bottomed with two masts and sails and loaded with logwood the deck was covered with mangoes plantains and other fruits and vegetables and so encumbered that it was impossible to move the stern had movable hatches a few tiers of logwood had been taken out and the hatches put over so as to give us a shelter against rain a sail was rigged into an awning to protect us from the sun and in a few minutes we pushed off from the bank we had as passengers two young central americans from peten both under twenty and flying on account of the dominion of the carrera party coming as we did direct from central america we called each other countrymen we soon saw that the bungo had a miserable crew above the men were called bogadores or rowers but here as they were on board a bungo with sails and going down to the sea-coast they called themselves marineros or sailors the patron or master was a mild inoffensive and inefficient man who prefaced all his orders to his breechless marineros with the conciliatory words senores agame el favor gentlemen do me the favor below the town commenced an island about four leagues in length at the end of which on the mainland was a large clearing and farming establishment with canoes lying in the water all travelling here is along the river and in canoes from this place there were no habitations the river was very deep the banks densely wooded with the branches spreading far over very soon we came to a part of the river where the alligators seemed to enjoy undisturbed possession some lay basking in the sun on mud banks like logs of logwood and in many places the river was dotted with their heads the spanish historian says that they swim with their head above the water gaping at whatever they see and swallow it whether stick stone or living creature which is the true reason of their swallowing stones and not to sink to the bottom as some say for they have no need to do so nor do they like it being extraordinary swimmers for the tail serves instead of a rudder the head is the prow and the paws the oars being so swift as to catch any other fish as it swims and hundred weight and a half of fresh fish has been found in the maw of an alligator besides what was digested in another was an indian woman whole with her clothes whom he had swallowed the day before and another with a pair of gold bracelets with pearls the enamel gone off and part of the pearls dissolved but the gold entire End quote. here they still maintained their dominion accidents frequently happen and at the palisada don francisco told us that a year before 
a man had had his leg bitten off and was drowned three were lying together at the mouth of a small stream which emptied into the river the patron told us that at the end of the last dry season upward of two hundred had been counted in the bed of a pond emptied by this stream the boatmen of several bungos went in among them with clubs sharp stakes and machetes and killed upward of sixty the river itself discolored with muddy banks and a fiery sun beating upon it was ugly enough but these huge and ugly monsters neither fish nor flesh made it absolutely hideous the boatmen called them enemigos de los cristianos by which they mean enemies of mankind in a canoe it would have been unpleasant to disturb them but in the bungo we brought out our guns and made indiscriminate war one monster twenty-five or thirty feet long lay on the arm of a gigantic tree which projected forty or fifty feet the lower part covered with water but the whole of the alligator was visible i hit him just under the white line he fell off and with a tremendous convulsion reddening the water with a circle of blood turned over on his back dead a boatman and one of the petain lads got into a canoe to bring him alongside the canoe was small and tottering and had not proceeded fifty yards before it dipped filled upset and threw them both into the water at that moment there were perhaps twenty alligators in sight on the banks and swimming in different parts of the river we could do nothing for the man and boy and the old bungo which before hardly moved seemed to start forward purposely to leave them to their fate every moment the distance between us and them increased and on board all was confusion the patron cried out in agony to the senores and the senores straining every nerve turned the old bungo into the bank and got the masts foul of the branches of the trees which held her fast in the meantime our friends in the water were not idle the petain lad struck out vigorously toward the shore and we saw him seize the branch of a tree which projected fifty feet over the water so low as to be within reach haul himself up like a monkey and run along it to the shore the marinero having the canoe to himself turned her bottom upward got astride and paddled down with his hands both got safely on board and apprehension over the affair was considered a good joke end of section twenty five